Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24 this morning. And uh, we're going to take just a little bit to get to this main section. It's going to be where we end up. And um, the reason for that is uh, we've got a subject this morning in within our statement of faith that can be one that easily becomes distracting and controversial, which is uh, a fun thing to discuss together and something we should challenge each other with. And uh, so as we navigate through this, um, we're going to take a couple different directions and I'm going to put some other scripture passages up here, but... Just stay with me in Matthew 24, and that's where we're going we're gonna to end up today. And the statement that we are talking about, for those of you who haven't been with us, we've been walking through, point by point, through our statement of faith as a church. And as I have said previously, our statement of faith is not, does not exist to say that this is something in addition to what the Word of God says that we've somehow created, rather, as the Word of God is read and thoughtfully considered, these are the primary belief, foundational beliefs that we see Scripture saying this is fundamental to our faith. And so this is all from Scripture, this is stuff that's pulled from the Bible and summarized in that document. And we've just been highlighting it to specifically focus on and target the, uh, the importance of us understanding what this is actually saying. Rather than it just being one of those things that we kind of look at and pass it by, uh, kind of like those, uh, those legal and uh, agree notifications that you get how many, you, have you ever gotten one of those and you don't even read it, you don't even scroll, you just click accept. You have no idea what that thing says. And you just move right past, right? Well, we tend to treat our statement of faith the same way. And it, at the core of who we are, the, this should be really important. And so at the foundation of everything else, we should be coming back and saying, I know what we believe and what our leaders are holding to as a standard across the board. And so that's what we've been focusing on. And today, we're focusing on a really exciting subject matter. It's the return of Jesus. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I'm going to try this again and we're going to celebrate that because every time we talk about that, it should really get us excited if we actually consider what we're talking about. So we're going to talk about the return of Jesus today. Yeah. Okay. And our statement specifically on the return of Christ says this. We believe in the personal, bodily, and this is interesting, okay? Many of you may not know this, but the Evangelical Free Church of America as a denomination voted this past year to take out the word premillennial and replace it with glorious. And this is where I talk about that controversy coming up a little bit. So the EFCA statement says, we believe in the personal bodily and glorious return of our Lord Jesus. Currently, most churches still have this unchanged. And so before this past year, it said, we believe in the personal bodily and premillennial return of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about that a little more. 
The coming of Christ at a time known only to God demands constant expectancy and as our blessed hope motivates the believer to godly living, sacrificial service and energetic mission. Okay? And to engage this specific subject matter this morning, I want to first take you on an overview journey in order to better grasp the general concept as it speaks of in Scripture. Secondly, what I want to do this morning is I want to confront the issue many people have and continue to have with the timing of Christ's return. And lastly, I want to focus us in on a portion of Matthew 24 as we seek to understand how any of this applies to us here and now. Okay? So before we do that, we're just going to pray over this morning. We're going to pray for clarity. We're going to pray that God's word is what is heard and known and that we walk out of here going, I am confident that I need to dive into God's word to understand what he has called me to better. Okay? So let's pray together. Father, we come before you today and we are grateful that you are a God who cares for our needs, who is faithful to your promises, and who has given us a glimpse of what the future will be. Father, I pray for clarity this morning at exactly what your word says. I pray that you would help us not to become divisive over small things, but rather that we anticipate the things we know to be true and we root into those with a hope that there will be much that we don't understand now that will come to light in days ahead. And so we commit this time to you for your glory, most of all, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So when we're considering a theology of Christ's return, the first question that we should be asking And what those outside of the church, as we call it, would ask is, why do we believe or need to believe in the return of Jesus? Why does it matter if we believe this or not? What is so important about this specific point that it would be put in our statement of faith, that we would talk about it, that we would say, come Lord Jesus, why is this so important? And in order to encounter that question, I'm going to give you two answers to that. The first one shouldn't surprise us at all. The first answer to this question is simply that Jesus said he would. If we ask the question, why is it important that we have a knowledge of Jesus' return or that uh, we even believe that or count that as important is because Jesus himself communicated that he was coming back. And we're going to read a section of earlier in Matthew 24. It's going to be up here. We're going to read that together. Okay? So, let's read this all as one body. It said, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now, 
to give you some background on this specific text, and we're going to see that further later on in Matthew 24, Jesus is speaking directly to his disciples here. And this is in a portion of scripture that's often called the Olivet Discourse, because Jesus was on the Mount of Olives, and his disciples came to him privately, and he spoke to them, because they asked him about these things that were yet to come. And so the disciples here, these guys who were walking directly with Jesus, come to him and they ask, Jesus, tell us more about these things that are yet to come. Give us some more details here. We, we, we're wanting to know what's going to happen. And so Jesus himself is teaching them these things. So these very words is Jesus himself articulating this to those guys who were closest to him. And it becomes pretty obvious, I hope you see in the text, that they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. Now there's not some strange interpretation here. The Bible specifically speaks, Jesus Himself speaks these words. They're going to see the Son of Man. They're going to see Me coming. So it's important, an important aspect of this. In a similar way, in Matthew 25, verse 31, just past this, Jesus again says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. It doesn't say, if He comes. It says, when. Everyone say, when. That implies it's going to happen. This is important for us to make that distinction. Now, the very fact that Jesus himself states these words to his disciples should be a good reason for us to believe that he will return. But just in case this isn't enough, there's more. The Bible itself says that he's going to return. Another passage that we're going to read together is in Revelation. And uh, I don't know if you realize this, but the, very, the book of Revelation itself says that the person who reads the words in the book of Revelation will be blessed. And many of us are scared to go there because it seems so confusing. But I would just encourage you, there's a lot there and you don't have to understand all of it to be devoted to just reading God's word. Okay? And this is one of those passages in Revelation that I get excited every time I come back to it because of what it implies and what it speaks to. And so let's read, let's read this one together as well. There's going to be, I think there's going to be a couple slides here that go along with this. It starts and it says, And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil, 
and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Now, there was two statements in there that were the same. What were they? I am what? Coming soon. Now, I don't know about you, but if someone tells me they're coming, I don't automatically assume, oh, they might be kidding. They might be joking. Behold, I am coming soon. Now, in a similar way, Hebrews 9 speaks of this. Hebrews 9 says this very thing, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. Yet another passage, and this one, I laugh every time I read this section of Scripture, and it's in Acts chapter 1. I'm going to put it up here too. In Acts chapter 1, this is right after Jesus has ascended. And so Jesus, in the, the narratives of the Gospel, Jesus goes to the cross. He's crucified. He's buried in a tomb. He's there for three days. And on the third day, what happens? He rose again. Woohoo! Yes. And Jesus appears to all these people. And then at the end of his time there, appearing to people and revealing to them those things which he had told them before was going to take place. He ascends into heaven, says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And this is the point where Jesus also says, it's good for me to go because when I go, the Spirit, the Helper, which I promised will come and walk alongside of you. Okay, I'm paraphrasing there. But we talked about the importance of the Holy Spirit previously. The Helper that was promised. And Jesus left. And in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon His disciples. And thousands of people come to Christ. But right before this, in Acts chapter 1, this happens. And when He had said these things, as they were looking on, He was lifted up and a cloud took Him out of their sight. Picture this happening. Picture you're one of the disciples standing there as this is happening. Jesus is gone. He's out of sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so essentially they were standing there. Jesus disappears and they're just standing there. Okay. You can come back now, Jesus. And the angel has to appear to him and say, What are you doing? He'll come the same way that you saw him leave. So now go do what you're supposed to do. Everything Jesus taught you and equipped you to do, go do it. But the promise here to the disciples extends even into today. And that's the promise that Jesus indeed will return. In the same way that he departed. 
Now, that answer, answers the question, why is this an important thing for us to believe? The second logical question that some people ask is, how will Jesus return? How will he return? And in biblical response to this, I'm going to give you two simple answers. And there's a lot, I want to preface this and say, there is a lot in regards to the return of Jesus that I don't know. And that's okay. Because the reality is, and something that we should rest in, is that you and I are not God. Thank God for that. Right? Because in the grand scheme of things, there is so many details that only God knows. And that's okay. It doesn't... We don't have to depend on knowing every single detail in order to have faith in the one who knows. Amen? And so I'm going to give you these two simple answers when we answer the question, how will Jesus return? The first one is we know he will return personally. And this is represented in our statement of faith. He will return personally. In 1 Thessalonians 4, drop that reference down, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18, it says, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, understand in this, it does not say that someone who looks like the Lord Himself will come. It does not say a spiritual being will come. It says the Lord Himself will descend. So when we're thinking about how will Jesus return, you can bet that He's going to return exactly as He is. It's not going to be some weird, confusing, what is happening, what's taking place. Jesus will return personally. It's not some abstract principle here. Jesus Himself will return. Secondly, we know that He will return bodily. Acts 1, that we just referenced a bit ago, says that. Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw Him Go. Everyone say same way. Okay? Again, not an interpretation trick here. He will literally return the same way that he left. And if we believe that he rose bodily and appeared to all these people in the flesh and then he ascended into heaven in the flesh, then we can believe and know based on everything that is said that he will return in the same way. We can know that. He will return bodily. The other aspect of that that is really encouraging in Philippians 3, 20 and 21, it says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things 
to himself. And so the promise there is that he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. It's bodily, okay? I, I want you to grasp this. Everyone say bodily, okay? This is important for you to understand. And it might seem really minor, but Scripture makes an emphasis that he is returning in the same way he left. And that detail, when we share about the coming of Jesus with other people, that's a detail that we should not leave out. He's, he's going to come back and it's actually going to be him, personally him, and it's going to be exactly as he left. And I can't wait. I can't wait. Now, beyond these simple truths, and I say simple truths because it's what the Bible says, but beyond these simple truths, the nitty-gritty details are often left up to debate and speculation. But understand this, outside of what the Bible says, we cannot know more about the return of Jesus. I'm going to say that again because I want it to resonate with you. Outside of what the Bible says, we cannot know more about the return of Jesus. You can spend all day speculating about that. But make sure you preface that by saying, I am speculating. And I love to do that just as much as the next guy. I love to have conversations with people about what do you, what do you think it will be like? What, what do you think that trumpet will be like when, when he does return? What, is it, what, do, what do you think it means when he will come with a, a cry of command? What? What do you think he actually will look like? Because I guarantee you the depiction in your children's books are not accurate. Jesus was not a white man from California, okay? And that is not meant to be an offensive statement, okay? Don't take it that way. But every depiction of Jesus, and this is a sidebar pet peeve of mine, in case you're wondering, is long-haired and has this fancy goatee going on. And do you realize Jesus is from the Middle East, right? He was born in Bethlehem. He was a Nazarite. So, something you can encourage your kids with when they look at a picture and they say, Oh, look, it's Jesus. You go, well, somebody thinks that might look like Jesus. But we don't actually know what he looks like, okay? So we can speculate about that, right? But understand that apart from what the Bible says, we cannot know more than what's there. Now, this brings me to the final question that's often asked, and it's the question of when will he return? And for some, this question is general in nature, simply wondering the exact date or year. And there have been people that have tried to predict this and thought they had it set there have been people that have sold their life possessions because they were convinced Jesus was coming back on October 15th, 1989. Okay? That happens. People are convinced. They do all this crazy math and numbers work and go, I figured it out! But there's another form, frame of thought here that often causes more debate and dissension amongst people that has more to do with the timing of Christ's return 
in correlation with other events that we see happening in Scripture. And that's where this whole debate about the millennial kingdom comes in. And just, I'm going to give you today, here's what I'm going to give you today, so that you're not expecting more than I'm going to give you, okay? I'm going to give you a broad overview. I am not going into extensive detail on each portion of this, because we don't have time for that. There are books and books and books written on speculation and theology about this. And if you would like some resources on that, let me know and I will get them to you, okay? The other thing I'm not going to do this morning is I'm not going to tell you specifically what I think in the midst of this. And here's why, okay? I want to challenge you as a church to read your Bible and to not formulate your theological positions based on what someone else would tell you. You need to read your Bible and be decisive and make theologically informed decisions based on what you see read in the text. Okay? Also understand that at the end of the day, when Jesus returns in light of other events is not a salvation issue. Okay? I anticipate that every single one of us will be surprised when those events unfold. And we will all stand there and go, Oh, it all makes sense. This is not anything like what I pictured. Like I see some bits and pieces, but I was way off. And praise God that our salvation is not dependent on our ability to predict the future. Okay? But I want to give you the terminology that's mentioned because if you encounter this, I want you to be informed and educated on what this is. And so there's three frames of thought when it comes to the timing of this. And I'm going to put them up here so you can can see them. Premillennial, postmillennial, and Ah, millennial. This is at the heart of this debate. And for those of you who are wondering, millennium is a thousand, okay? The millennial kingdom is referenced from a passage in Revelation, Revelation chapter 20, specifically verses 1 through 6, that speaks of Jesus establishing an earthly kingdom here for a thousand years. Each one of these frames of thought specifically deals with at what point in time Jesus comes back in relation to that thousand year kingdom reign. Premillennial people believe Jesus will come back and then the kingdom for a thousand years will start and move from there. And that the thousand year reign of Christ on earth is a literal one thousand years. Postmillennial people believe that in some sense we are seeking to rule and reign now and establishing a earthly kingdom that when it gets to a certain point and the Great Commission has been fulfilled to a certain place, Jesus will then return saying, it's good, I'm re- I, I can come and rule now. Post-millennial. And any terminology where you add an alpha in front of the term automatically distinguishes the word non. So the amillennial perspective is the belief that 
the millennial kingdom is but an allegory, and it's not going to be a literal 1,000 years, but we don't really know what it will look like, okay? And all of these viewpoints, I have friends who I sit and debate these things with constantly, and I can question them, and I can tell them, I think you are wrong. But that doesn't mean I look at them based on their belief in this and say, I think you are not saved. Okay? And I want you to understand that we should not be letting these type of things be divisive amongst what we have been called to in the church. Now, I will tell you, if you want to talk about these things in detail, please do. I love talking about this stuff. And I love discussing it and opening scripture and studying together. But let's do it together and not in a sense of I'm right, you're wrong. Let's have a discussion and challenge each other to be more like Jesus, okay? So if you want to know where I stand in this, come talk to me about it. This is an excuse. You shouldn't need an excuse, but it's an excuse for you to come talk to me and ask hard questions because I love when you do that. And I'm encouraged to walk alongside you in that. Now, in all of this, Here's the broader application question. I've thrown a lot of information at you. But here's the broader application. Why does it matter to me? Why does it matter to me? At the end of the day, why does it matter? Everyone say that. Why does it matter? Okay. Matthew 24. We're going to read this section. We're going to start in verse 36. I'm going to read this and show you an illustration here. And it's going to lead right into our application as we merge into communion in just a minute. But this says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Everyone say, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake or stay ready For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. Everyone say, be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Now, I want to illustrate this passage. So I need a volunteer. I need someone. I'm not going to make you do anything crazy. I just need someone to help me. Okay? All right. Will you help me? Sure. Come on up here. Okay. Hello. And what is your name? Denise. Denise. Okay. All right, Denise. So we're going to come up here. 
And all I'm going to do, so here's, here's the illustration of the day. So, I have in this bag a various assortment of essentials, depending on the circumstance. Okay? So I'm just going to dump these out. Alright? Random. Okay? Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm simply going to state, this is a solar charger, by the way. It looks kind of weird. And we're pretending this is a nice radio that's actually going to work. Okay? And so, Denise, what we're going to do in, in this is I'm going to say something is happening, like a catastrophe of some kind. And all I want you to do is just on a whim, grab the things that you think you are going to need. All right? Okay? Any questions? No? How many things can I pick up? As many as you want. Okay? And, and I won't make, I won't set a time limit like you, it's, it, you don't have to do it super fast, but yeah. Okay. Alright, so, first thing. Famine. Famine? That's a good choice. You got your food. Okay. Alright? Okay. I think that's probably in this mix, if you had a famine, that's probably the only essential you need. Okay. Snowpocalypse. All those warm clothes. That's right. Okay? Alright? Tornado. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Okay. Alright. Earthquake. There's not much here that would help you in that. I know. I just kind of threw that one in there. Although you might, the solar charger might help you in that sense if you lost power. I don't really know. Okay? Alright. Jesus is coming. <laughs> Alright. That's, that's all I need you for. Thank you. Thank you. Give her a round of applause. Okay? Now, what I, what I want to emphasize there is we could identify almost any natural disaster of some kind. And we would kind of have an idea of how we should prepare. If, if it's going to be cold and it's going to be really snowy, I'm, I'm going to need to get somewhere, I'm going to have warm clothes. If, if I know the power is going to be out, I'm going to have stuff set aside. I'm, I'm going to have water. I'm, if, I'm, if I know that I'm going to be in a situation where I need to get news or weather and I'm not going to have access to a TV or something else, I might have a radio here. Here's my application for you today and my challenge to us as a church live in constant expectation of Christ's return live in constant expectation of Christ's return none of us knows the hour he will come like a thief in the night unexpectedly people will be going about their business in the same way it was with the flood. Did you catch that in Matthew 24? They're just going about their life and all of a sudden, boom, swept away. Same thing is going to happen when Jesus returns. So here's my question for you. What would you do differently today if you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow? Who would you share the hope of Jesus with, not knowing if you'll have a chance tomorrow? Who would you reconcile with, 
not knowing if you will have a chance tomorrow? Who would you spend time with encouraging, not knowing if you will have a chance tomorrow? We believe Jesus is coming back, amen? Are you living with expectancy that He's coming back and that He could come back tomorrow? That's a reality I've been wrestling with since I first started studying this week. Are we living in anticipation that He's going to come back and we don't know when, it's just going to happen? Now, when it comes to communion, the reality is Jesus encouraged His disciples to do this in remembrance of Him. And the Apostle Paul articulated that we continue to do this until when? Until He returns, okay? And this is one more example as to why this is for the follower of Christ and the follower of Christ only. Because it's done in recognition of saying, I know that He died for me. I know His body was broken for me. I know that His blood was poured out for me. And so I do this in remembrance and reflection of that specifically. To nourish and focus me, motivate me to live as if He's coming back tomorrow, right? And so, as we take communion today, I want to encourage you to reflect upon that. 